This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Dane Wigington, thank you for joining me in the trenches. It's a pleasure and an honor. I've been wanting to chat to you for a very long time. I'm very grateful to you that you are now, and if people understood the gravity of what's occurring in our skies, the ramifications, the consequences, they would make this a priority issue. If we can hide from many things that the power structures are doing at the moment, but we have to breathe. And what they're dispersing in our skies is under the guise of climate engineering operations, it, which is really weather warfare, and because of the toxic elements is biological warfare, we can't hide from that. Okay, I'm trying to think where to start. Let's start with your biography. I have a background in renewable energy, which is not truly renewable, as we're told. I worked for Bechtel Power, the largest engineering firm in the in the world. I have a large off-grid home. I have wind, hydro, and solar power, all of which are being radically reduced because of what's happening in our skies, which reduces sunlight, which reduces wind overall, which reduces rain. I live in a very remote section of Northern California in the forests uh, uh, east of Lake Shasta. I began to realize something was occurring in our skies 20 plus years ago because of the loss of solar power, whatever the aircraft were emitting. I knew that could not just be condensation. I began to test my precipitation and found exactly what I didn't want to find, starting with heavy metals like aluminum, which is a primary element named in climate engineering patents. The more testing I did, the worse those levels got. I was faced with this knowledge that this was going on in our skies, and I I absolutely completely altered the priorities of my entire life, Jeremy. I've been focused on this fight ever since. People need to know. We, we, we must stop these programs that are derailing the planet's life support systems and contaminating every breath we take. This is a fight for life, nothing less. The stated purpose of what's going on in our skies scientific terms, solar radiation management, to block the sun's incoming thermal energy, a percentage of it, to slow down the warming of the planet. That is the stated purpose. There's a number of other scientific terms for what's occurring. Stratospheric aerosol injection, cloud albedo enhancement to increase the reflectivity of clouds without any consideration of the consequences. So the stated purpose from those who orchestrate the science community, again, to slow some of the sun's incoming thermal energy by putting these reflective particles into the atmosphere in an attempt to slow down global warming. In reality, what we see happening around the globe in Africa has certainly been a target of these weather warfare operations for many decades. It's being used as a weapon to cut off precipitation. We see, for example, Jeremy, a stunning example would be in the week after 9-11, we had former NATO Supreme Commander General Wesley Clark given a list of Middle Eastern countries that were to be targeted, a list that clearly existed before 9-11 even occurred. Subsequently, every single one of those countries underwent a once in 1,000 year drought. Their precipitation was systematically cut off by these operations, destabilizing food production, thus destabilizing populations. We had the leaders of those countries in the case of Iran on the floor of the UN emphatically stating that NATO was cutting off their reign. They certainly know they have sophisticated atmospheric monitoring equipment. So that's just one stunning example. In the case of Africa, where these protracted droughts have been occurring for decades, and then these countries 
are forced to allow NATO occupation, NATO bases with AFRICOM being centered in Africa and how many U.S. bases there. This has simply been a covert weapon of war for the power structure, a weapon with which they can bring countries and governments to their knees without those populations ever even knowing they were under assault. They blame it on nature. So just to clarify, uh, the phrases used that get thrown around would be geoengineering, weather modification, weather war. Am I, am I following? Climate engineering is a key one. If people are searching terms, it's, it's important to know the right term to find science fact. The chemtrails term, which I'm sure you've heard, mm. is a term that by design leads, although it's descriptive and okay in personal conversations, it is very counterproductive to use that term with any official or any mainstream media source because that term leads straight to conspiracy theory and hoax. It's not a science term. There's no basis for it. And they use that term to instantly marginalize someone who brings it up. So if you stick to the science terms, they can't marginalize this issue nearly as easily. Again, climate engineering, very descriptive term, solar radiation management, two, two primary terms that relate to this issue. But in reality, again, what we're talking about is weather warfare i've watched your documentary the dimming and it made the hair on my arms stand up i appreciate you watching it and again when people seem to be perplexed as to whether or not this is actually going on we have absolute irrefutable proof presented in that documentary we at great expense and difficulty we took a national oceanic and atmospheric administration flying lab as you saw the top scientists in it to altitude, sample behind heavy aircraft, process that sample. One of the world's most renowned labs found exactly what we knew we would find. Climate engineering elements starting with aluminum. For your listeners in that film also, we have testimony from former U.S. Air Force generals, two of them, former Canadian Minister of Defense, former U.S. Presidential Cabinet members. So again, there's no dispute. And when we come down to, aside from all that, when we have film footage, which is also presented in the dimming and at geoengineeringwatch.org, our website. We're the largest website in the subject in the world, non-political. We have many, many reels of film footage taken at altitude, showing these aircraft, nozzles visible, turning spray dispersions on and off. End of debate. This is not condensation, as we have been told. This is a sprayed particulate dispersion. And so your listeners understand, too, the whole condensation trail narrative, what a deception that is. All military tankers and all commercial carriers are fitted with what's known as a high bypass turbofan jet engine. It's a jet powered fan. 90% of the air that moves through that engine is not combusted. For that reason, that engine is nearly incapable of producing any condensation trail except under rare or extreme circumstances. So even the short bright trails that we see that seem to disperse is still a sprayed dispersion. So Again, un only under rare circumstances would we see anything that's actually a, quote, condensation trail, and that would be extremely short-lived behind an aircraft under very specific conditions that are increasingly less common as the, the planet descends into total meltdown. So this is a sprayed dispersion we're seeing in our skies. But again, we need people to simply believe what they see with their own eyes. That's why we have so much film footage posted at geoengineeringwatch.org. And if we look back, as far as the degree of control that the power structure has over the climate system, let's go all the way back to 1962, 60 years back. And you, you may have seen this film. It's on the dimming. Former U.S. President Lyndon Johnson raving like a lunatic, 
60 yeah. years ago, stating we had the power to control the world's cloud layer then, and he who controls the weather contro controls the world. So he who controls the weather controls the food supply, thus controls populations, thus controls the world. So again, these dots aren't hard to connect. The history is there. The documentation is there. We have documents, uh, former U.S. Senate documents, as long as 800 pages outlining these programs. Outlining, and this is important, the global cooperation with these programs. Major powers, U.S., China, Russia, all colluding and cooperating on these operations. It cannot be otherwise because you can't just geoengineer over your own country without affecting the entire global weather system. And that cooperation is outlined in documents like that, which I just mentioned, calling for this kind of cooperation in spite of otherwise adversarial relationships. Further, this document in particular describes the total blanket legal immunity from anyone and everyone involved in these programs for any decimation, destruction, or death that they cause. So again, the, the this is a climate engineering Manhattan project globally. It is so incredibly massive and destructive. If populations don't wake up to this, if we don't expose it and halt it, our days are numbered, and that's not my opinion or conjecture or theory or hypothesis. It's a mathematical, statistical trajectory. We have decimated the planet in many ways. I, I do not argue that. We've been very poor stewards of the planet. But this intentional intervention in the planet's climate and life support systems is a certain death sentence if it's allowed to continue. What exactly is uh, climate engineering? It's the utilization of natural processes for fulfilling specific agendas of those in power. And, and again, I stress, those agendas ultimately are all about power and control. There's nothing benevolent in these programs. They're, even the attempt to mask, and this is a key part of these programs. It's happening in the U.S. right now, Jeremy. Their attempt to mask the severity of planetary meltdown in order to pacify populations until the last possible moment, in order to keep populations oblivious to the severity of environmental and biosphere collapse. So we have the COP27 conference going on right now, the climate conference. So what's happening in the US right now? They are laying the groundwork for a massive cool down of the entire lower 48 states, a very unprecedented cool down, which will make the lower 48 states the most anomalously less warm region in the entire Northern hemisphere during this conference. And we've seen this before in past COP conferences, Copenhagen, Cancun, both of which had record low temperatures at the conference at the time of the conference, in spite of surrounding areas all having above normal temperatures. How can that be? Climate engineering is how, and that's a demonstration to all those there that we don't need to change business as usual. We don't need to stop our looting, plundering, pillaging, and polluting of the planet. We just need to climate engineer more. And, and that's their demonstration again. So in the US, what's planned for the next six to 10 days. I've never seen a scheduled weather forecast, and it is the scheduled weather, it's not a prediction. I've never seen one so severe. They show a jet stream manipulation, which they can do, and that's another aspect of climate engineering, manipulating upper level wind currents with facilities like HARP. If your listeners don't know what that is, it's an ionosphere heater. It's a weapon of mass destruction that heats the atmosphere and alters atmospheric pressure zones. With the use of that type of facility, of which there's about 100 around the globe, they can alter the jet stream. So what's happening for the U.S. is a jet stream pattern I've never seen before that sweeps down around the western U.S., clear around the southern U.S., and back up on the eastern 
uh, seaboard of the U.S. and chemical nucleating occurring in moisture that's upstream from that. And they're going to cool the entire lower 48 to below normal temperatures. I've never, I have not seen that before ever, even before temperatures became so extreme. And that's right in direct correlation with the COP27 conference. That's not a coincidence. So it pacifies the U.S. population into ignoring any media about that conference because look how cold it is outside their door. Uh, again, if you look at the global average departure or departure from the average temperature maps, it's a big blue spot in the northern hemisphere and everything else is red. And so again, this is this is not a coincidence. This this is absolutely a demonstration of how the world's biggest military, the US military, which is bigger if your listeners don't know, US military is larger than the next 10 largest militaries combined. In regard to aerial tankers that are used for these operations, US military has 3 times more than all other militaries in the world combined. So again, the, the power that's being wielded here is staggering and incredibly alarming. When I looked up at the sky and I saw that patchwork, what is it that I was looking at? You're looking at a sprayed particulate dispersion, nanoparticles. Those particles are unbelievably small. You can fit 60 to 100,000 across the width of a human hair. Consider that. It's, it's, in, it's inconceivable. And they use the smallest possible particles because they stay aloft in the atmosphere longer. They have more volumetric surface area. There's more surface area on the smaller particles for a specific amount of volume. They do not consider the consequences at all, except to say this. I would argue they do consider the consequences, and the consequences serve them very well. These particles are so small, and we have aluminum, barium, strontium, manganese, polymer fibers. We now know graphene. In the case of the last two elements, polymer fibers and graphene, we know those can be used to carry pathogens from the clouds to the ground. That would serve those in power very well, wouldn't it? When they lose control of the narrative, they can sicken or debilitate the population, and that population is incapable of standing up to that power. But in the case of these particles, they are, they are so small, we inhale them through our, our nasal passages, they go into our olfactory nerve, enter our bloodstream, cross the blood-brain barrier. So back to the consequences, actually serving those in power as well in many ways, that is debilitating, debilitating populations with the elements that we know are involved. We have IQs in the U.S. over the last three decades have dropped six to nine points. That's unbelievably alarming. We have neurological diseases related to these elements, specifically aluminum in many cases, ALS, Alzheimer's, dementia, going virtually off the scale. These elements sterilize soils, hampering crop and food production. In the case of aluminum, aluminum, by the way, is harmful to all life forms, period. It's sterilizing soils, killing soil microbiome. It affects root systems, affects crop production. From every conceivable direction, climate engineering operations are not only using the weather itself as a weapon, but the air column as a weapon. And again, from every conceivable direction, it's driving the nails into our collective coffins. And another aspect as well, we can add to this equation, Jeremy, does the sun, if you're in, in, in straight, unobstructed sunlight. Does the sun feel much more intense? Fill surfaces, how hot they are. Look at the sun-exposed sides of trees to see if the bark is being burnt off. We know, and we're not speculating, in the case of UV radiation, which is a direct result of ozone layer depletion 
of which climate engineering is the core causal factor, we know we're, we're getting so much UV on the surface now, we're getting UVC, not just UVA and UVB, but UVC, that's a DNA damaging spectrum of UV radiation. Again, climate engineering, the core causal factor for ozone layer destruction. So that by itself, if we even ignored all the other factors we've already talked about, the destruction of the ozone layer itself is a near-term existential threat. Back to the UVC, it's, it's not only killing insects, killing foliage, killing crops, it's killing plankton. Plankton have to feed in the upper layers of the water column because they photosynthesize. Plankton is the basis of the food chain on the entire planet. We now know from peer-reviewed study, as of about three months ago, global plankton populations, in the Atlantic at least, were down 90%. That's a virtual crash of plankton. No plankton, no people, simple. And plankton is the largest oxygen producer on the planet as well. So again, from every conceivable direction, climate engineering is pounding the nails into our collective coffins. We must deal with it or we're done. I was looking at nanoparticles coming out of that plane. How did they get there? Is somebody supplying that to the airline? In the case of commercial carriers, that's a very important question you asked, Jeremy. In the case of commercial carriers, we do not implicate commercial carrier personnel. They do not appear to be in any way involved. We're, we're communicating with commercial pilots that know this is going on, but they are not directly involved, though their aircraft are being used. About 20 years ago, we had a, a huge disruption of the airline industry because suddenly luggage and the weight of luggage became a factor. They began to uh, restrict people, charge them extra to try to reduce that payload. And, and that we believe that is the time when the, the commercial aircraft carriers were more utilized for these programs. They carry a much smaller payload than a military tanker. And we, we see that with the shorter dispersions from some of the commercial aircraft, but they are absolutely fitted with nozzles. We have up close photographs of the nozzles retrofit on the aircraft aimed into the exhaust jet stream to make this look like, quote, condensation, which it is not. So those material suppliers, we think American Elements is one of the suppliers. They're very connected. They have aluminum nanoparticles listed on their uh, their data sites as one of the main elements they supply. We also see, for example, to connect this dot, in those aluminum nanoparticle elements mix, we see surfactants. Surfactants are what make soap soap. It's what causes the foaming and the bubbling. And now what do we see? Along with the tests that show aluminum and all our precipitation, we see these massive ocean foaming events. It just happened with Hurricane Nicole that just hit the Florida uh, East Coast, that the massive ocean foaming was coming in. We see it in, in many locations because they're spraying over the oceans and those surfactants cause foaming. We see rain that foams now, commonly, running down streets and gutters, and that's indicative of the surfactants that are in the mix, and we've tested the precipitation, and they are in the mix. Every single piece of this puzzle connects. So with the supplying of materials to, again, commercial aircraft industries, it can be done through a, a number of ways that they load luggage bays and so forth of smaller containers. And we have images of some of that being done. It can be done in catering containers. Again, smaller payloads where if we look at a military tanker, it can carry 100 tons of material in a single payload, 100 tons. And so when we look at, Jeremy, you know, 
uh, populations have heard of weather modification programs, right? A single engine propeller plane with a few flares on the wings, right? The, those programs are simply mass distraction to make people think that it's some small scale benign scenario. So those publicized weather modification planes might put 10 kilos of material into the sky. Now let's look at, again, a single military tanker carrying 100 tons of toxic elements. Of course, they don't want populations to know this. So the amount of material that we th we are have extrapolated is, is likely being dispersed around the globe from 100 plus lab tests taken by one of the, it's an institution we're not disclosing yet. We don't want them to have repercussions, but it's one of the world's most recognized agricultural testing institutions. We have extrapolated from the amount of material in the precipitation tests there over that entire state and transpose that globally and it appears that some somewhere in the range of 60 to 70 million tons of these highly toxic nanoparticles are being sprayed into our skies annually 60 to 70 million tons conservatively it's not a good net result is it it's a death sentence if they continue with these operations it's a death sentence and, and we hear this as well to that kind of statement that I just made, we hear people understandably say, why would they do this to themselves? That's the first thing many people state. And it, it's a primary excuse for not even looking at this issue. Let's look at what they have done to themselves already. Let's look at the detonation of 2,400 nuclear weapons, which contaminated the entire planet. Amongst those testings, we had hydrogen bombs detonated in the magnetosphere, Project Starfish Prime. They had no idea what it would do. They thought it could collapse the entire atmosphere. It has, in fact, damaged that magnetosphere, damage that we're still dealing with today, but they did it anyway. That's the point. We have Fukushima. That's a triple nuclear meltdown. No technology to fix it. No end in sight. And yet, they're building 60 more nuclear reactors now. We have 440 online already, all of which will go into meltdown as society collapses with no personnel there to keep those reactors cool. They will go into meltdown, and they're building more now. So again, we're dealing with insanity, plain and simple. We're dealing with an addiction to power. And do addicts care that their next fix might kill them? No, they don't care. They won't let go of that. And so it amounts to a cancer, Jeremy. We're dealing with a cancer. Does a cancer intend to kill the host? No. And a cancer intends to proliferate unchecked. The host eventually dies. That's what we're dealing with. How far back does this go? Important question. We know these programs were launched at full scale and been ramped up ever since immediately after World War II. We see testing that was done in World War II, and this is another excuse people use to dismiss this issue. You've seen film footage of the B-17 bombers in World War II leaving the long vapor trails, correct? Mm. So people assume this must just be condensation. First, those engines were very crude combustion engines by themselves. We put out a lot of particulate matter. We'd expect to see something substantial behind them anyway. It's very different from a high-bypass turbofan jet engine, but worse, we found on the U.S. military archives, because they had to be beta testing during World War II in order to deploy immediately after World War II. They, they knew the temperatures were rising radically. They knew they wanted to use weather as a weapon. We found film footage, and this is on the dimming as well, mm. of World War II B-17 bombers taken at altitude. This is military footage. A massive dispersion from a B-17 bomber that is shut off instantaneously in air. 
The plane didn't yeah. fall out of the sky. I it saw didn't that. shut his engines off. Yeah, it's clearly a dispersion. That plane was dispersing something, as were the rest. And we, we believe there is ample evidence that beta testing of weather modification was going on in World War II. We have patents going back to pre-1920. Obviously, this has been a sought-after military weapon. Why wouldn't it be? Again, a weapon with which they can bring populations to their knees without those populations even knowing they're under assault. So the, the scope and scale of this, the duration, is, is truly mind-numbing, and the population remains oblivious. Who is they? Important question as well. They is those who print the money. It's not about political parties. It's not about a specific country. Those who print the money is the top of the pyramid. They fund militaries, thus they control militaries, thus they control countries, they control political systems, they control media. Those who print the money control the, the entire matrix from bottom to top. And the population needs to understand that and comprehend that. Those who have tried to remain the, behind the curtain, again, manipulating elected officials and everything downstream. So. And we see that all the way down to the local county level here in, in California. Their funding comes from above, and they are not going to bite the hand that feeds them, so to speak. I've had personal meetings at, at the California Capitol in Sacramento with Governor Gavin Newsom and his top aides presenting data on this issue. And people like Gavin Newsom are bought, sold, and paid for. They are servants of the matrix, and they are not about to do anything about this issue. So. Again, the whole system is is corrupted and controlled by those who print the money. In, in regard to uh, officials like U.S. presidents and leaders of other countries, again, I would argue they are simply sock puppets in the play and not in control of anything. And if we look at the last U.S. president that actually drew a line in the sand with those who wield the power, the money printers, that was Robert F. Kennedy. and or excuse me, John Kennedy, JFK. And that was a speech he gave in the early 60s, and he lived a very short duration after that speech. John F. Kennedy drew a line in the sand with those in power. He wanted to expose the secret societies, and he did not live long after. And I would argue that no other president has ever tried since. All of them are simply actors in the play, the scripted political play that keeps the American population, in the case of our country, very occupied with things that don't matter at all to keep their eyes off the horizon. Dane, what is the ultimate purpose of weather modification, geoengineering, climate engineering? To retain power and control, to manipulate other countries, other governments, at this point, the stakes have become much, much higher, however. Those in power know that the planet's failing life support systems can no longer support global populations. That's a statistical fact. And I know when I say that, many people don't like to hear it. They respond negatively to it. They throw out that we could all, in, in the case of, uh, they, they use this example. I've seen this many times. We could fit everybody in the state of Texas and still have room left over. It's not about elbow room. It's about resources. It's about a functional planet, a functional life support systems. So when we look at the die-off that's already occurring right now, again, this is back to the agendas for climate engineering being carried out now, connecting to population control. We have lost 80 to 90% of Earth's insect population now, Re today. Really? We 
80 to 90 percent terrestrial and aquatic. If the bugs can't make it, how long do we think we're going to be here? And we publicized that about 12 years ago, and now the science community is admitting to it, although they tried to marginalize us for bringing it to light. They're admitting to it now because they can't hide it any longer. Plankton populations down in the case of the Atlantic, by peer-reviewed study, 90%. We think the rest of the Earth's oceans are in a similar state. We have wildlife populations that have declined 70 plus percent in the last 40 years. They're, they're trying to claim wow. 50 years, it's 40 years actually, and we think it's about 80% today. We're losing, the species extinction rate today is 15,000 times the background rate. No. That's a million and a half percent of, try to get your arms around that. That's a million and a half percent of the normal background rate. That is a virtual collapse of, of species around the globe. We're losing two to three hundred species of plant, animal, and insect to extinction every single day. Two to three hundred every single day. People don't realize how many species there were on the planet. And we're losing species that we haven't even identified yet. So again, when you have a trajectory like that, when you have life support systems around the globe virtually crashing, those in power, of course, are going to try to thin the herd as fast as they possibly can. So if I'm at liberty to say, to speak to more of the totality of these operations at this point beyond weather manipulation, at any moment of their choosing, we, we believe that pathogens are already being dispersed as part of these operations. When we see COVID-19 infected, at one point in the initial waves, it infected 85 countries in three days. That's an aerial dispersion. We have Italian scientists identifying COVID-19 particles attached to airborne particulates. How did they get there? We have former U.S. Department of Defense scientist, second most recognized climate engineer on the planet, Dr. Ken Caldera stating what he did for the U.S. Department of Defense was to design ways of spraying pathogens into clouds to infect the populations below. He works for Bill Gates now, a, a eugenicist, clearly. Of course they're going to try to thin the herd, and at any point of their choosing, if they feel they're truly losing control, and this is the variable that people need to understand and consider, they can put something much more lethal in this mix, like Marburg or Ebola. I know you know what those are. And they could bring us to our knees. They could level the playing field any time they want. We have to deal with what's being sprayed into our skies. We can't hold our breath. It needs to be brought to light and to a halt for, for so many reasons. How easy is it to manipulate? Uh, the, the climate system is so inconceivably complex that that fact alone makes it more malleable for those in power. It is... It is uh, with a small application of change, it causes a huge downstream effect. So that's, and that's if we don't consider the consequences, and they don't consider the consequences. So they've been able to use this at an extraordinary level. And what we see in Northern California, for example, they leave nothing alone, nothing. When we get, we used to get thunder showers in the summer here. And if we do see a large convective system forming where you have, you know, a blue sky, but you have a big cauliflower cloud rising up, convective cell, they will hit every single cell. We, we can see with telescopic equipment, aircraft over that cell dispersing particulates. They can use radio frequency transmissions to disperse these particulates and affect the cell as well. This is patented. These are patented processes. So what we see is a large convective cloud 
that might precipitate and bring a little desperately needed rain to Northern California, and we are in, in apocalyptic condition here because of the lack of rain, they will virtually destroy that cell. It, it turns it into what looks like a giant, dirty, diffuse smoke bank. It doesn't look like a beautiful, well-formed cauliflower cumulus cloud anymore. They virtually scatter it into this fuzzy, hazy mess that doesn't precipitate anything. So they leave uh, nothing alone. I mean, a localized level, it's, it's affecting everything globally, but we see operations that affect even at a higher level locally, to answer that question. Sure. Well, let me ask that same question in a different way. The, the same scenario that you just um, highlighted, could that affect me here at the bottom tip of Africa? Well, certainly it's the butterfly effect. I, I mean, it, it, what we do here affects the entire globe. But in fact, these operations are absolutely global. They appear to have been first deployed at scale over the polar regions, which would make sense from their perspective. The polar regions are the air conditioner for the planet. So what we see is that they have been able to mask the symptoms of this planetary meltdown while worsening the overall condition of the host. And isn't that what we see with pharmaceutical products? I mean, how many commercials do we see, Jeremy? We see them here in the US, it's every other commercial. Take this for that symptom, and here's the side effects, 50 side effects that are far worse than the symptoms they claim to treat in the first place, same mentality. So we've fo we have photographs of US submarines surfaced at the North Pole in February of 1959 in open water, open water at the North Pole in 1959. That's certainly never been disclosed publicly. So we had the ice melt off that severe then. So that leads me into another major aspect of climate engineering that we haven't mentioned. It's called chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. They can chemically cool cloud moisture to create a radical surface cool down, to create flash snowstorms. We literally see conditions here Amarillo, Texas, uh, May 1st, 2013. I, I know this data inside out, upside down, backwards. This is all I do. That's one example. May 1st, 2013 in Texas went from a 100-degree all-time record high to snow in one day. <laughs> try, to, try to imagine that. We have now... Really? We had a hundred... One day. We had 100,000 cattle killed... October 4th, 2013, in South Dakota, there was a flash snowstorm. October 4th, again, that's our fall. It's not that cold here then, October 4th. It was 40 degrees and snowing. At the same time, in a state near that location, in Kansas City, it was 89 degrees Fahrenheit and raining. Chicago, further north than the snowstorm, was 85 degrees and raining. How can you possibly have a snowstorm in Dakota that killed 100,000 cattle. A flash snowstorm killed 100,000 cattle because this artificially chemically nucleated material that now is called snow is very heavy and adhesive and it sticks to the, the hides. Of, it's extremely cold to the touch, sticks to the hides of the cattle, sticks to their snouts, bogs their, clogs their noses, cows won't breathe through their mouth, they died. So we had 100,000 cattle killed in a flash snowstorm and literally Three days later, there was no snow left. They're laying around in the mud dead. We've seen that happen in South America. 250,000 alpacas killed in one flash snowstorm. This is, alpacas are extremely cold hardy. This is not nature. We saw, did you happen to see uh, 
a year and a half ago, the big freeze in Texas got down to zero degrees. And, and uh, okay, that's, that's a stunning example. So we have Dallas, Texas at zero degrees with moisture off the record warm Gulf of Mexico. Hold on. Sorry, Dane. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, you're talking in Fahrenheit, not so? Fair, yes, zero degrees Fahrenheit, which is, yeah, what good is, point, what, which is so about is that? Negative, negative 15C, something like that. That is I mean, very cold. Extremely cold. So, uh, and at the same time, we had, at the approximate same latitude in Florida, we had 85 degrees, which would be... Uh, 25 degrees C, something like that. So uh, unbelievable extremes. And that is absolutely chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. We have the patents. This is elements like barium, ammonium, mm. urea, synthetic urea. It, all these listed in the patents that can freeze water at temperatures far above normal freezing temperatures. So we see... Go ahead. Speaking about freezing water, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but in the yeah, dimming... In the dimming, there was that that bit about creating uh, floating ice, which keeps the ocean warmer. It it does. This is part of what they're doing in the Arctic, and to lead full circle back to what I mentioned about those subs in open water at the North Pole in February of '59, which is that's in the middle of winter at the North Pole. How mm. could there be open water? at the North Pole then. So chemical ice nucleation operations are being used to mask the severity of warming. In the case of the Arctic, we see we have satellite imagery of sea surface chemical ice nucleation operations. It looks like a massive chemical spill on the sea surface because that's in fact what it is. And that can freeze that sea surface that would not have otherwise been frozen. And that actually has a very counterproductive effect. It masks the, lock, the lack of sea ice. They're able to statistically claim there's more than there is but it's capping that heat in the oceans. So we see, for example, it was highly sensationalized, the record cold in Boston in 2014. Lots of headlines, they played it up in the media, so it made people think, well, okay, it seems really warm, but it's cold there, so it must be, must be okay, it's cold somewhere. We have images of Boston Harbor with ocean temperatures of 40 degrees with frozen slush everywhere on that sea surface. How can that possibly be? Seawater doesn't freeze till 28.4 degrees Fahrenheit, which is negative two or three degrees C. Seawater has to be below zero C to freeze. So how can you possibly have it at positive, uh, if we're using a centigrade, positive three, four degree temperatures, how can you have frozen seawater from chemical ice nucleation? I would encourage your listeners to search this, Jeremy. Search lake Lake Michigan ice balls. If they search Lake uh, Ice Mich oh yeah, Lake Michigan ice I balls. That. They'll see have you seen those images? With yeah, the little I mean ice, 75 the ice balls pound, that roll up. Yeah, 75 pound ice balls rolling up on the shores and there it's happening in the Baltics, happening in the Arctic. Again, th this is chemical ice nucleation. The massive hail storms we have now everywhere. That's chemical ice nucleation as well, starting that nucleating process far sooner, building it up much faster and bigger. That's what's contributing to the massive hailstones everywhere. You've obviously uh, had the devil's advocate arguments thrown at you, right? The, 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 well, okay, so could it be natural phenomena? Again, that would be like making the argument if you found, and I've, I've used this example before, if you find a body in the street that's been stabbed, beaten, 
shot, run over, burned, and you claim they died of a heart attack. And that's, that's an argument that you simply would not be able to make. So when we have this kind of intervention in the climate system, there's nothing that can be considered natural or cyclical. The, the earth changes we see happening now based on paleo data, Earth's history, are happening hundreds of times faster at minimum than any previous paleo event. There's nothing natural in what's occurring here. In fact, based on Earth's cyclical patterns, we should be descending back towards the glaciation period in Earth cycles, cooling. But that stopped with the Industrial Revolution. And, and again, I want to express this to people. The fact that I readily acknowledge the planet is not just warming, it's in total meltdown, and climate engineering is being used to mask that scenario at the cost of making it worse overall, that doesn't mean I have any love for any of the environmental organizations. I have great disdain for all of them. They are displaying immense hypocrisy. They are trying to protect, in the case of the U.S., their 501 nonprofit status, so they will not mention climate engineering and we know that because our attorneys at geoengineeringwatch.org have spoken to the attorneys from all the major environmental groups greenpeace sierra club uh, earth justice all of them have hidden from the climate engineering issue they won't talk about it because they don't want to lose their nonprofit. same with the spiritual institutions in the united states they are controlled through their nonprofit status so they will not address climate engineering with a couple exceptions that, that we're very grateful for. But but we're back to the purse strings. We're back to the controllers of the money and how they control everything else down the line, including environmental groups, including spiritual groups and so forth. So again, uh, those that want to claim this is in any sense natural or cyclical, that argument simply doesn't hold water. Are there any big events over the last few years that we can all look at and go, Oh, wow. Let's look at Hurricane Ian that just happened here in the U.S. in Florida. And we recorded at geoengineeringwatch.org. Your listeners can search control. If they search geoengineeringwatch.org controlling Hurricane Ian, we recorded the frequency transmissions from ground-based facilities that steered that storm. We recorded the actual interaction between those transmissions and the storm, steering it on its path. This is patented technology. We recorded it in process. There's no arguing that that storm was absolutely manipulated and steered. So, uh, again, there are so many events. The, the ridiculously resilient ridge in California, which is the name of the high-pressure zone that blocks all of our rain for 14 years now in a row. And we can see in satellite imagery the effect of those transmissions. We can see the sprayed dispersions from aircraft and satellite imagery. So there is so much proof. And, and I realize we have the so-called experts that claim it isn't so. And people, people without any investigation, without using their sense of reason or logic or even their own eyesight to, to believe what they see themselves, they believe the quote experts. And don't we see that with for example, the vaccination issue, how, how much do we hear safe and effective, safe and effective? We hear it over and over. And yet, if we look at the VAERS data, Vaccine Adverse Event Reaction System, what do we see? Deaths into, injuries into the seven figures, very conservatively. We, with endurovigilance in, in Europe, we see, I mean, off the scale injury and death. And yet, we have safe and effective being told to us by the so-called experts. The experts are paid to 
state what they are told is the truth or what they are told to tell the public is the truth. And the public needs to wake up to that fact. Those experts are completely controlled as a part of the money printing matrix. When will that be apparent to people? Is nobody talking about it because of a type of mockingbird operation that's going on where the media is just being controlled? Well, that's certainly a part of the problem. But we have also a population that is very, very content with their constant bread and circus theater, aren't they? They mm. want their new iPhone. They want to grab a six-pack of beer and a pizza and watch the football game on Sunday. And, and uh, they don't seem to care about much else. And they've been trained not to care about much else. And that needs to change quickly because we don't have much time. Again, I want to express that this is, this is not something you can just turn off when you have an extinction rate, what it is now. And the, at the best case scenario that we face now, and I know this is a very difficult pill to swallow, is that some make it through what's coming. And that's worth fighting for, I would argue. Too many have been trained to feel that unless they're guaranteed a happy ending, why fight at all? Why try it all? And that's very sad. For me, if, especially for those that have children, once you have children, you owe your life to that child. And you need to prioritize accordingly. You need to fight for their lives. And, and that's what we need to do right now. And, and the smoke and mirrors that's being thrown out here, and, and the media here in America, I don't know what it's like in South Africa, but the media here in America is, is so incredibly alarming. There is nothing that matters on our mainstream media is nothing but divide and conquer scripted political idiocy to polarize populations into infighting divide and conquer and they see nothing on the wider horizon they don't see the oncoming train when we have ecosystems collapsing again everywhere when you drive down through the agricultural regions of california where you used to have to stop at every gas station to clean your windscreen your windshield because there were so many dead bugs on it now there's none there's none so what does it take to awaken people to that? We have crops collapsing all over the globe. We have fisheries collapsing all over the globe. Global, we talked about some of the statistical decline in wildlife and insects. Fisheries, the pelagic fish populations globally down 90%. That's the food fish, 90%. Bluefin tuna down 98%. Not going to be eating that seafood much longer. Not that you'd want to because it's so polluted right now anyway. But once you start this cascading domino effect, it accelerates wildly, exponentially. And I can't express the non-linear nature of this equation enough. It is incredibly non-linear. We are going to hit the wall soon. You, you said for what's coming. What is coming? The collapse of Earth's life support systems is already extremely advanced right now. The more immediate wild card is when those in power can no longer hide the severity of what's unfolding from populations. At the moment, those populations may start to panic. Those in power will play very big cards, be that false flag, pathogen release, global conflict, all the above. We see them at this point discussing openly in, in numerous power circles the use of a limited nuclear exchange to put enough particulate matter into the air to create a nuclear winter scenario to slow down the warming of the planet. If they do that, that will immediately destroy what's left of the ozone layer. Game over. No food production, no fish, 
radioactive isotopes everywhere, we're done. Nuclear plants begin to melt down, but they are insane enough to discuss that right now. So again, I stress this, it's not that you necessarily wake up and overnight the planet completely stop supporting life, but you can wake up overnight and found, find out the power structure has played very big cards because they know they can't hide what's happening. They're not going to let go of their control and they're going to cull populations at blinding speed. So again, we are in a very dark corner, but I would argue the only solace that I've ever been able to find is to face that, not to run from it, but to face it, to embrace it, and to play one's part in the play, no matter what. And that's, that's a form of solace that can't be taken from us, to know that you have done your part. And I would argue that's what we all need to do. Dane, do you think some of these big players are very smart or very dumb? Now that's a very difficult question to answer in that some of the most, some of the highest IQ people I know are the hardest to reach of all. And I'll give an example. I know a, a, a double, he's a former friend. I no longer communicate with him, but he's a double PhD clinical psychologist. And in regard to the climate engineering issue, he stated to me, and was sincere that that issue wasn't real unless or until there's a peer-reviewed science study to say it's real. So unless or until the criminal openly confesses to the crime, the crime never happened. That would be like finding, a, 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 again, a murdered body in the street and saying, well, uh, they weren't really murdered because uh, we haven't found a criminal. The criminal hasn't confessed to the crime, so they, therefore there was no murder. You can't really make that case, but we have someone who's seemingly intelligent with an IQ, I would imagine, 140, 150, but a psychological state that doesn't allow him to face reality. And we certainly must have that. Think about, let's, let's look at the climate engineering issue that is so blatantly, glaringly obvious in our skies, so inarguably affecting weather systems everywhere. And we have the entire so-called climate science community pretending it isn't happening. And we know some know it's happening and refuse to say so because they don't want to lose their paychecks and pensions. But we know others that simply only see the truth as what they have been told the truth is. Just like in the medical world where we have physicians, and I know some very high up in the medical industry, that truly believe vaccines are safe and effective because they were told, trained, and taught that that was the truth when it's anything but. So again, intelligence is hard to measure. And I, I know farmers in, in some rural areas of America that I, I would not imagine would score very high in an IQ test, but they know this is going on and they understand how dangerous it is. So again, intelligence, very hard to measure. I think I agree with you. I had this conversation a few days ago about, um, about IQ. And if you look at the vaccine uptake in Africa, it's extremely low. Yes, yes, perfect example. They know, and they, well, they should know after how many years of, of being subjected to being a guinea pig and, and, and mm. experimental programs, same in India and Bill Gates uh, polio vaccine programs in India, it, it is felt attributed to, according to the Indian government, almost 500,000 injuries of uh, children there. And uh, again, um, yes, yeah, some of the poor, more rural nations and their populations intuitively know something's wrong and americans mm. have been 
so effectively programmed that uh, they they simply can't see the proverbial forest from the trees. Other than the fact that there are nanoparticles, as you pointed out, falling down to Earth, it creates a type of dimming, doesn't it? That's the one of the express purposes. Yes, to create it's the scientific term is called global dimming, and you're you're completely correct. That's the name of our groundbreaking documentary, The Dimming, and uh, we have statistically now between 20 and 30 percent of the sun's direct rays no longer reach the surface. And that doesn't mean that the overall light has dropped 20 to 30 percent. It means that 20 to 30 percent of the direct sunlight now is obstructed by these particles. And so at a time back to the COP conference where they're pushing, quote, renewable energy, which again is not renewable. It takes an immense amount of hydrocarbon fuel to create a wind turbine 450 feet high with blades that can't be recycled that they're trying to bury in any spot they can find in the in the countryside when the blades go bad solar panels require a chemical called hexofluorothane that's 17,000 times more powerful a greenhouse gas than co2 I, I mean all these factors are not disclosed but at the very point when they're pushing these forms of let's call them alternative energy which is better than outright burning of carbon fuel but it's still not renewable Climate engineering is radically diminishing all three forms, all three primary forms of alternative energy. It's blocking direct sunlight, which has a radical effect on solar panels. Again, my, my home was on the cover of the world's largest renewable energy magazine. I that's what got me to the issue. I was losing massive amount of my solar power uptake. So they, it blocks a tremendous amount of solar power uptake. It affects convection. When you cover the sky with these horizons, you affect convection. That affects wind and that reduces overall wind. We have a, another scientific scenario called global stilling. The winds flow overall globally. I know there's horrific winds in some places, especially associated with climate engineering operations, but so we're diminishing wind power. We have what's called wind droughts now in places where there's turbines. And you're gr greatly diminishing hydropower because you're radically reducing the overall hydrological cycle. You're reducing overall global rainfall. It must rain more. Your listeners need to hear this. The laws of physics make clear it must rain more on a warming planet. 7% more moisture for every degree C of warming. We believe from frontline data we are past 3.5 degrees C right now. We're not being told. It must rain more, but it's not. It's raining far less overall. That can't happen without a factor we're not being told about, and that factor is climate engineering. So that's reducing overall rainfall, which is radically reducing the, the best alternative form of energy of all, hydropower. So it's reducing wind, reducing sun, reducing rain, thus greatly hampering all three forms of alternative energy when we're told we need that most. So again, there's, there's no sanity in this equation anywhere. So how do we push back? We must reach a critical mass of awareness. And people have been trained and taught that they have no power. So why try? And I would argue that. Let's make this equation exponential. When you convey credible data to two people, and they convey that data to two more each the next day, and so on, for 30 days, that's about 5.5 million in 30 days. And that sounds like my math must be wrong, but it's not wrong. I encourage people to do that. Take that one day doubling to two and two each to four, four to eight for 30 days. It's about five and a half million. 
if we bring this issue to light and those participating and their families, military personnel and those who work for material suppliers and so forth, they know what their family member is participating in, literally their own demise, I would argue then and only then will we have a chance of pushback. If populations around the world that are being subjected to climate cataclysm, droughts in Africa, I mean, there's going to be mass starvation in countries in Africa soon. And other countries it's happening as well, the Middle East. If, if they knew that their precipitation was being systematically cut off and that their governments were participating, what would happen? Would they take to the streets with their proverbial pitchforks and torches? We need to bring this issue to light. And I would argue if we could do that, and that's done with effective, credible data, not by pointing at the sky and ranting and not having anything credible to pass on. You need to pass on a credible link. That's why we've, we've made the dimming so people would have a credible documentary to pass on to people. If we can bring this issue to light, I would argue we can change the composition of what's about to happen. We can change the flavor of the concrete wall we're about to hit at full velocity, if you will. It's, it's the only way forward. Reaching a critical mass is the only way forward to fight this battle with an army of the awakened that know they're fighting for their lives, to wake up those that are participating so that they hopefully no longer participate. That is the only way forward in this fight. Elected officials, lawsuits, none of that's going to do anything. We must awaken populations, and that is going to require all of us. You said if. Are you hopeful? I'm undecided. And short of some sort of uh, unexpected intervention of human consciousness, uh, it does not look good. But I've been in scenarios in my own life, and I know many have, and where you felt um, there was no way out. And in fact, um, what you didn't expect happened. I think of a, a documentary that I saw once, Jeremy, of a, an airliner that blew in half at 20,000 feet. It, the, the aircraft blew in half. How could anyone survive that? And one woman survived unharmed. She fell still strapped to her seat through a jungle canopy, unharmed. What are the odds of that happening? We're simply saying that doing what's right because it's right is right, period. And so no matter how dark the horizon, it's up to us to stand against that gathering storm. And if we do, collectively, we may yet accomplish profound good, even at this late hour. Do you think people are inherently good? <sighs> I, I don't know that I want to try to answer that question. I... I think they've been trained to seek their own self-interest, and that's sad because there's no solace there, none. The only solace I've known in my life is when I forget about my own wants, desires, and, and, and help another, and then I have found solace. And I would argue that if we collectively do that, these are such important questions you've asked, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. You know, you're, you're exceptionally intuitive, and, and uh, I'm so glad to connect with you, Jeremy. But if we would look past ourselves and look to the whole of which we are a part, we cannot survive without the whole. Our mm -hmm. war against nature is a war against ourselves, and we need to remember we're a part of that web.
and we need to act accordingly. And I hope people will abandon their training, their programming to, to seek self-interest in everything they do and instead remember they're a part of the whole. And, and not, not the type of whole that governments create and want us to be a part of their cabal, but the web of life on which our lives completely depend. Uh, I appreciate the kind words, but I'm trying to find a segue to something positive. <laughs> I understand. Again, but this is part of the problem. It's part of the problem with, with every, every single environmental documentary we see by major sources like BBC and... and David Attenborough. Uh, Edinburgh, they all end with, yes, it looks bad, but if we just buy an electric vehicle and a few solar panels, we'll all live happily ever after. And that's not reality. It's simply not reality. I will say this. If nature is given a chance, any chance at all, nature finds a way. It finds a way. We Example I've given many times, if in the middle of the biggest concrete jungle, if there's a crack in the asphalt, a blade of grass or a flower grows through. We need to give nature that chance. And perhaps something miraculous can happen then. But right now, nature is completely being strangled in a straitjacket of climate intervention operations that are preventing nature from responding to the damage already done. And we need to cease the rest of the damage as well and allow nature to respond. And, and that is the only way forward. It is the only chance we have. All right, my final question, Dane. This is the most important question of them all. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, sir. When are you coming to my side of the pond? <laughs> I, I would, you know, if there was if there is one place in the world I would like to go, still it is it is Africa. It is, and I almost went to Botswana for an extended um, trip once, and I, I didn't make it. But if I ever do. I hope I can look you up and uh, yeah, and connect with you. I would, well, it would be I'm, a pleasure. I'm easy to find. I'm right to the very bottom tip. <laughs> yeah, in South Africa, and and uh, if in a perfect world, I would definitely come. You know what I've done now is because we have sixteen or seventeen radio shows in the U.S. now that we mm. my weekly broadcast, Global Alert News, commercial free, non political, and we. I have so many obligations in this battle that I literally am strapped to my workstation, and um, and, and I I don't know that that is going to change. But I'm I'm and, and I've been in this battle for 20 years nonstop. It's a treadmill that never ends for me, and sometimes mm -hmm. I get tired and I'm, uh, I collapse and my feet dragging on the belt proverbially. And but I I pick myself back up and keep going because it has to be done. But uh, it's the only solace I've been able to find. But if anything ever is ends up in a position where I would be able to make that trip. I would certainly that that is the place I would come. Well, let's do some promo quickly. Where can I follow your work, Dane? Geoengineeringwatch.org. Uh, letters G E O, the word engineering, and then watch. It's very important to put the watch afterward because otherwise you get into pro geoengineering websites. So geoengineeringwatch.org. We've had forty. 1 million visitors to the site, something like that. 42. Um, 42 now. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Non-political and no advertising, and we simply exist to provide people the tools they need to wake those around them to this issue, have others do the same. And again, I, I do stress that if we could collectively bring this issue to light, we could cause a shockwave around the globe 
we could take a quantum leap in the right direction. That's worth fighting for. God bless you and thank you for joining me in the trenches. It's a pleasure and an honor. Thank you very much, Jeremy. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.